we're back, baby. <laughs> Hi there, my name is Hannah. My pronouns are they, them. You are listening to a podcast on queer folks' favorite tunes. This is Queer Sounds, and it feels good to be back. Um, if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, meaning Tuesday, February 1st, um, I am finally, 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 finally um, graduating. It, uh, it only took me 10 years altogether. Um, but hey, uh, you got to do something with your life, and it took me a while to figure out what. Um, but yeah, uh, after after a month of after a month of plowing away on my thesis and everything else, I'm finally able to record new episodes, and it feels nice to just kind of be back in this comfortable, warm blanket wrapped around me, like this 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 labor of love, if I may call it that. But hey, enough about me. Um, hi there, May. Welcome. Hello. So good to be here. So good to have you. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, just for the record, what are your pronouns? My pronouns are he, him. I found you on uh, on Instagram under like your full name, I suppose. Um, what what what's the name you prefer? Um, the name I prefer is actually that name, which is Mylani. Um, yeah, it's my Hawaiian name, and <laughs> I just stuck with it. All right, so. Just to be clear, we hardly know each other, um, uh, but uh, I do uh, know that you post a lot of art on your Instagram. Like, is that is that your main um, is is that your main gig, or is that just a hobby as well? It's mostly just a hobby, but I just I really love drawing people and kind of capturing people as much as I can in my art and music, and it's just a fun thing I do on the side. For how long have you been have you been drawing? Oh, ever since I was a kid. Like I was always drawing kids in my class, or <laughs> you know, um, I wanted to go to school for art originally. So oh my god, me too. I just kind of keep on plugging away at it. <laughs> um, what what made you change directions? You know, I feel like there are a lot of ways to tell a story, and journalism kind of helps me do that. And I really, as a queer person. I really want to bring that into whatever I do and as far as changing the world in some way. Um, I remember uh, applying to art school and I just, you know, just got shut down. It's like, no, you're not getting in, um, which then led me to pursue different paths of life. But you actively decided to go for a different, uh, a different major instead of art. Then. I did. I mean... I was kind of torn because I love art. I really do. But I just feel like I'm a well-rounded person and I just want to figure out how to bring the best parts of me to different areas. I don't know if that makes sense at all, but that's <laughs> what I'm trying. Yeah, I mean, um, it sounds like just trying to find a different way to maximize uh, or use all your talents the most efficiently. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I definitely recognize myself in what you were saying. Like uh, ever since you were little, drawing your classmates, drawing whatever else. Uh, but at some point, I just kind of stopped, and I never really got back into it. What What made you continue with drawing from from such a young age? It's funny you say that because it's easy to get burnt out on stuff like that. But I don't know. I feel like drawing people has always been an outlet. And a way to relate to other people without, like, interacting with them <laughs> too much, you know. So it was a great way to, like, have an outlet during the pandemic and just kind of figure that out and navigate the world a little better as a young person. How about we get some uh, different kind of art up in here? Your <laughs> childhood memory for today, what track are we playing? Childhood memory. I probably listened to the same three albums <laughs> when I was younger. Um, a good memory would be the song Ghosts by uh, The Head and the Heart. It's probably one that I played a ton <laughs> when I was younger. Boys in the street are talking about leaving, they're leaving, looking for places to go. Boys in the street are talking about leaving, they're leaving. Looking for places to go Boys in the 
Song number one, The Head and the Heart, a track called Ghost. Um, why did you select this one for your childhood memory? I love this band mostly because I, I grew up in a really small town and I live in the same small town. And I think this song kind of captures what it's like to feel like you're home, but also feeling like you need to leave. So I think it's just a good song. It captures a lot of emotion and it's just a fun listen, to be honest. What about this um, song specifically makes you feel like a home in that in that way? Is it the vocals? Is it the lyrics? Is it the melody? Um, I'm a big lyrics fan, so I think it's mostly the lyrics for me. Because I think the first line, I think, is like, all my friends are talking about leaving. And then it moves into like, all my friends are sitting in their graves, which is... Less depressing in the song than it sounds right now, but <laughs> it's more like learning to love your home, um, but also talking about having bigger dreams. And I think that's just a big part of being young <laughs> in my town. So I can really relate to this song. Right. So it's that, that general sense of being stuck in a small environment. Um, if I'm not mistaken, then it it also name drops like specific places in the US. So is that something that like, makes you feel that the song makes you feel like the song isn't as relatable as it could have been or how how do you what's your view on that I think it's even more relatable being from the US in a sense that I can relate to people who've never left home you know so even though it name drops other places it kind of makes you feel less alone in that feeling because you know other people are out there like in another town in North Carolina or something you know, <laughs> dealing with the same thing. So it's kind of fun in that sense. This song being released in 2011, was it also when you when you first found out about it or did that take another bit? I think I found this band, a family member recommended it to me when I was like 13 or 14. So it's it was a couple years old when I first found this album and other albums of theirs. So kind of in that <laughs> realm of finding myself, you know, when you're that age, made it more applicable to me and I still enjoy it now from a different perspective you know I'll listen to it every once in a while <laughs> how how did those perspectives change I think the perspective before was like oh I'm stuck in this town you know and I always was so frustrated you know because I'm I'm transgender and I think it would, before coming out it was very stressful and these songs kind of encapsulated stress for me but Now that I've come out and I'm still in this town and things are, you know, they're good, I can look back at this song and kind of recognize like, hey, we made it through this part. We made it through this chapter of our lives. So it's more comforting, I think, now than like a super big stressor <laughs> when I was younger. Um, you mentioned a family member suggesting this track to you. What made them think you would like it? Okay, so my uncle used to be a DJ on a radio and he'd play all this obscure stuff. And this isn't so much obscure, but he got me this like really old iPod and like loaded a bunch of music on it and was like, listen to this, my child. But <laughs> um, so he was a big influence on just giving me music that my friends weren't listening to. And it just made it feel more special coming from a family member. Uh, did your family play a large role in your your musical development so to speak oh yeah like my family loves music my mom is hawaiian and plays hawaiian music and my dad 
grew up with like a symphony <laughs> um, of a family. They all play classical music, so they always encouraged me to listen to music and play music and express myself in that sense. I'm I'm kind of intrigued by the the Hawaiian stuff because you know. Um, my white European knowledge doesn't go any further beyond, you know, Lilo and Stitch and SpongeBob soundtracks. So, you know, um, it's my knowledge about Hawaiian music is very limited. <laughs> um, could you name some examples of like Hawaiian stuff that you that you enjoy listening to? Of course. Yeah. I mean, let me find a good one because there are so many great, great Hawaiian songs I can name some artists. I just need to figure out which songs I'm thinking of. Because <laughs> um, my mom had me grow up on this stuff, you know. Let's see. You know when you immediately blank out on what you're doing. <laughs> All too relatable. In the meantime, what makes Hawaiian music stand out to you? Well, I think growing up with Hawaiian music has made me feel very connected to my culture. Because my mom, she's the only one in her family who ever left Hawaii and she was just like so determined to instill me with Hawaiian culture uh, so I grew up dancing hula and learning Hawaiian chants and just kind of enjoying Hawaiian food and it's really great because my town is majority white and I think it just made me feel more connected to my family and having that culture is really really a gift from her I think is that also why she really emphasized the Hawaiian music in, in your upbringing yeah, she wanted me to know how diverse the world is, and she wanted me to know where I come from, um, because we don't make it back to Hawaii very much. So she was homesick, too, you know. You don't realize that you're surrounded by a culture until you leave it, you know. So she brought that with her, I think. So if I understand it correctly, like, your mother is Hawaiian and then moved to mainland U.S. where you were born in Arizona? Actually, I am from California, but I go to Arizona online, so kind of confusing. But yes, she did move from Hawaii to California, to Idaho, and then back to California. So it's been a whole journey for her. Have you ever been to Hawaii? I have um, several times, mostly when I was younger. Um, it's beautiful and Anyone listening, uh, if you ever go to Hilo, Hawaii, should visit my family's lay stand. <laughs> Alan's lay stand. Got to advertise it a little bit. <laughs> have you have you found those examples of Hawaiian music people should check out yet? I am so sorry. Like, <laughs> I, I get distracted so easily. I know, I'm distracting. It's okay. It's all good. I just, I have a song in mind, but I totally forgot the name of it. And it's annoying me. All right. Um, we can just get back to it and then you can send a link later. I'll put it in the show notes. I will send you some because I'm determined to find that song. Yes. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Well, let's get back to the music stuff specifically. Like, um, what, how would you describe your taste in music like on your, in your daily life? That's a good question. Um, I feel like my music taste is a little bit of everything. I don't know. It's, it's, I listen to the same things every day basically and I could listen to like the same album and repeat in my car for like a month. Um, so it's mostly just finding albums and just listening them to death. So I don't really know if I have a certain genre that I like. Is there a pattern to be recognized in those albums? Yes. <laughs> I think a lot of albums are ones that make me feel like I'm home nowadays and are very nostalgic. Why did you say that so like hesitantly? Wow. Um, I don't know. I feel like I've struggled a lot with uh, feeling like I'm home because a lot of my friends who are LGBT have like moved off into the cities, you know, in California. Because when you think of California, you think of like Los Angeles or like San Francisco, you know, you don't think of the town that I'm from. <laughs> so feeling at home here is is interesting an interesting concept for me so exploring that through music is fun what makes something feel like home to you like if, if you were to describe the feeling of home what would that be the feeling of home to me is i i feel like i'm a small town person and a lot of the songs that i listen to describe the qualities of my home that i love because there are some things that i love about my town some things i don't love 
but just having that intimacy with people in your everyday life, like going to the gas station and seeing the same person every day or whatever. And, you know, seeing the same roads and the same places. It's just sort of that nostalgia for the small town atmosphere that I kind of fell in love with. It's like the the sense of a tightly knit community. Like go to the same grocery shop every morning saying good morning, Steve, good morning, Phil. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, when you say it like that. <laughs> you... um mentioned albums specifically what's the latest album that you've been binging oh gosh um let's see one that i've been binging is an album called what is it called i know it's by lily and madeline they're a sister duo and the album is called i think fumes and it's a beautiful album and i really love their music I'm 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 loving that you're such an album person because that's a <laughs> rare thing to come by lately. Oh really? I mean, isn't it? Compared to like playlists and like linear radio and stuff. So, what makes you what 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 makes albums specifically stand out to you? Well, I feel like when an artist makes an album, it's kind of like a whole story. Uh so each song is like a chapter of a book and the whole album is the whole book. So, I feel like if I only listen to one song, I'm not hearing the whole story that they wanted to tell because they're focusing on a different chapter with each song. So that's just, I kind of love just jumping straight into an artist and trying to get inside their brain <laughs> with each album. Are you also someone who like collects physical music like CDs, um, vinyl, what have you? I used to collect vinyl when I was like 14 and I had this really really sad uh, portable turntable that doesn't work very well. But I love vinyl and it's it's really fun. And my car doesn't play, doesn't connect to my phone. It's not fancy. So I collect a lot of CDs as well for my family. So um, I'm, I'm not entirely sure what uh, um, the, the sister duo you just mentioned. I'm not familiar with their work. I'm not entirely sure how to draw a line from um, the head and the heart uh, to them. Um, what's the like the chronological development of your music consumption, so to speak? Did you go through like specific phases you want to highlight, or maybe don't want to highlight because you're kind of embarrassed by them? <laughs> um, you know, I've been pretty consistent in what I listen to. So Lily and Madeline, great sister duo, beautiful like nostalgic style songs, and I think it's very ethereal sounding if you listen to it. Um, which is a sound I've kind of hung on to, I think, because I've listened to other similar bands like First Aid Kit, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, all right. Yeah, I know First Aid Kit. Yeah, it's very similar to their kind of music. I fell in love with First Aid Kit when I was a teenager, and then I found a similar band in our local record store, and that was Lily and Madeline. And I love their music, too. So it just kind of keeps building, <laughs> keep finding similar style music. So um, you started with The Head and the Heart, and from there you kind of stayed in that same um, acoustic indie vibes, um, or, or is that too, too easily put? I'd say that's, that's accurate. I feel like I've <laughs> stayed within that realm. Like <laughs> I haven't gone <laughs> crazy in other different styles, but I do enjoy... I don't know, listening to other stuff too. But the stuff I have on repeat is mostly the same. Um, is there like one weird big outlier? Probably just me listening to like movie soundtracks or musicals obsessively. <laughs> Every once in a while I have to like throw in a wild card of some sort of movie or something and just listen to the entire soundtrack. But besides that, you know, pretty consistent, as I say. All right, well, let's keep the consistency going then, because for track number two, favorite queer artist, you have selected the one, the only. I'm going to let you fill in the blank here. I really like Cave Town's music, if you've heard his music. I think one of my favorite songs of his was... It's a little bit sad, but I like his song, Trying. I'm not really sure if my words make sense to you 
But I can't really find any other way to form these feelings into cues And sort them in my mind The negative thoughts go on the left And the happy things on the right And there's a little corner saved just for you So, um, track number two, Cave Town, a track called uh, Trying. I feel like I was supposed to see Cave Town live uh, in the summer of 2020 because, you know, they were supposed to play on a festival uh, I was supposed to go to, but we all know how, how that went. Um, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. So, um, why, why made you, what made you select Cave Town for today's episode? I gotta think about this one too. Um, this song speaks a little bit closer to home to me than, say, the Head and the Heart or First Aid Kit because I feel like it's very vulnerable. Um, and I do think that I've experienced that vulnerable place, like pre coming out and just dealing with losing friends or gaining friends or just everything that comes with, <laughs> you know, being a queer person and. It's very special. I think a lot of his music is very close to the heart, which I appreciate. Yeah, I I, I also want to um, specifically shout out um, the fact that Robbie, so AKA Cave Town, is like on the Arrow A spectrum, which is not something we uh, we come by often. Mm -hmm. So you know, instead of consistently ignoring the fact that Ace and Arrow people also exist, like I'm gonna give give, give y'all a little shout out um why did you specifically suggest uh what did you specifically um want to bring onto the track trying trying i feel like is very personal to me because especially the line like i've never needed a friend more there are times when i regret not being in a bigger place and i regret um kind of not going to a more metropolitan area just because there is just a lack of diversity where I'm at. And it kind of captures that loneliness that comes with that. And I think those stories should be told more in general, you know. Do you feel lonely? Oh, sure. Like, I, I feel like I've struggled with that, you know, and everyone has in the past few years because of the pandemic as well. So that kind of compounded that. But I think something I'm really passionate about is like mental health, especially in LGBT people, especially in people in like rural areas, you know, who are dealing with this stuff alone where there's like a lack of access to care or, you know, gender affirming care, that kind of thing is incredibly important to me. So it's just something I think about a lot. And yet you've decided to stay in your small village. I know it's it's an interesting interesting choice. <laughs> how um, how do you how do you combine those two um, seemingly contradictory 
um, views. What do you mean by that? I mean, on one hand, you're 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 lonely. You miss the access to care. You miss um, I mean, general connection to other trans people. Um, but yet, you also mentioned that you know your sense of home is tightly connected to a sense of uh, living in a small town. So you know that 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 seems like on one hand you do want to stay in a small town, on the other hand you also kind of want to move out to a place where there are more people like you. I say people like us, um, and more, better access to to, to gender affirming care. So you kind of want to move away to like a bigger metropolitan metropolitan area. So that 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 kind of seems like it contradicts itself. I get that. Yeah, I mean. It is kind of contradictory, but I do feel like despite my town being small and despite it having its issues, <laughs> I do think, you know, there are LGBT kids here and everywhere. There are little corners of the area I live in that just feel right. And I do think there are people trying to make a stab at more accessible care and more accessible things for the youth and just trying to make it a better place. And I don't know, I think kind of the mindset of like, you know what, I'll give this town a try. I'll give it a shot as an adult <laughs> and see if I can, if I can do it. <laughs> and I always have the option to go, but I'm very lucky to be in a home with people who love me. And like, <laughs> you know, I have people and that's not the case for everybody. So I'm just, you know, trying to see if that's enough here. Um, how, uh, how would you describe your, your own queer experience? How, how do you experience gender? I'd say, gosh, that is a really good question. It's like, I think about it all the time, but I also can't explain it very well. Um, <laughs> it's so hard. I think I see gender more as a social construct and I feel like I've kind of grown up with very little representation of trans people. And when I did get representation, it was like very like trans medicalist and not great. Um, in my opinion, I, I don't think people should be like required to go on hormones. There's no requirement to being trans. And I, that's just something I'm passionate about now. But I think um, how I see gender now is like just trying to be as true to myself as I can and not letting other people define it for me <laughs> in that sense. And I, I think I've kind of grown out of like this rigid mindset of how like, oh, you, you have to be A, B and C to be trans. It's like, no, everyone's different. And everyone's so complicated, you know, and that's that's just the way I see it now. So if you don't have to be A, B and C to be trans, what letters <laughs> would you use to describe yourself? Like, Gosh, yeah, this is really making me think. Um, yeah, we're going deep. I think... I describe being trans as feeling affirmed and feeling comfortable within yourself and the way that others perceive you. That's beautiful. Oh, okay, good. I'm glad it came out beautiful and not like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, there is, there, there is something very uh, empowering in that the way others perceive you is irrelevant as long as you're living your own truth. Yeah, definitely. Moving on to, uh, to, to journalism. Um, you are currently a third year, uh, journalism student, uh, Arizona state. Um, you went for journalism because, uh, because you want to use it as like a way to change the world for for the better through through reporting um what um what's your what's your plan oh gosh like i just kind of tried journalism because someone because someone said hey you 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 can write cool maybe you should do something with that and the the ball just kind of started rolling from there so you know i started with journalism and then rolled into activism but for you it was the other way around i guess how how did that how did that uh, how did that progress that's a good question. I feel like something that's influenced me a lot with journalism is how we approach it um, when talking about people of color or talking about trans people. 
Like, there's a lot of dead naming. There's a lot of confusion about what types of language we should be using, you know? And I don't know. I just feel like that's something I'm passionate about changing in some sense. I don't know if it's going to be in a traditional sense or if I'm, I don't know, going to start some sort of blog or something, but <laughs> I don't know. Um, I just think about how the media or how our papers portray things a lot in the U.S., and it can vary. It can vary a lot. And I think it's important to have diversity in the newsroom and in leadership in any sense, in any place. And I want to see that grow in the future. Yeah, I I totally recognize what you're saying. Like, so many papers could do so much better if they only would hire one, one exclamation point, one trans person. Come on. Papers, you can do yes, better. More trans reporters. <laughs> Definitely. Like I, I noticed the same thing. I noticed the same thing during my internship. Like I uh, I did uh, I did a five month internship at like uh, Dutch public radio and I was like the trans person there. And like even I had like cis queer colleagues who say, Yes, I have a very um, I have a big interest in trans healthcare, and I was like, okay, did you see about this bill? Did you see about this change? Did you see about this lawsuit? And they were like, huh, yeah, no, I didn't even realize that. Thank you for thank you for showing up. <laughs> it's like, or like whenever another trans person was covered in the news, and it's like, hey, maybe you shouldn't use this and this and this language. And it's like, oh yeah, thank you for pointing that out to me. It's like, oh, I, I, um, it was on one hand infuriating because. It shows how much newsrooms need to grow, but it also felt very cool that I was like being there, making that change. Um, so, what what are your um, specific uh, ambitions? Like, are you do you want to go into like writing, uh, radio, TV? What what's what's your goal? Oh, another really good question. <laughs> I think it's still in the works for me because so much can change in a few years as we've seen in the past few years but I've always loved writing and if I could bring bring a story to life in some sense through writing I don't know where that will be <laughs> that would be wonderful for me is writing also something you've always done just like drawing you know I used to write so much more and then I just got so burnt out on trying to write well and I totally stopped reading as well I used to be such a good reader and read tons of books but now I don't um so it's it's something I'm trying to rekindle <laughs> in college how would you describe your experience in like the the in, in in your journalism curriculum because you know from my own experience I definitely had stuff that I would have liked to see improved in my my time there but you know I I, I bet um your experience isn't much better. Well, right now I'm I'm taking a lot of like ethics and diversity courses, so that's been nice. Let's take a step back. What is your experience in studying journalism in in the U.S.? Because I'm kind of curious what the differences between our two our two experiences are in that sense. Uh, it can be a little bit polarizing because the way that certain issues have been reported on, like a lot of our uh, previous President Trump and the way there's like Fox News and then there's other news stations and then the whole idea of quote fake news and there's a lot of trust to be rebuilt in journalism and then we talk about that a lot in my classes and just, you know they have us have discussions about certain issues like different political issues we've had it's it's it can be a little bit uh, stressful, to be honest, because we've had some very interesting current events over here. Right, yeah. So, I mean, from there, you could also argue how big of an issue is this really? Because, yes, in the recent years, the term fake news has gotten popular, but also in an era before Trump, there was still a, a, a bunch of capitalist assholes who profit off of um off of the type of recording fox uh, reporting fox news does so in that sense um a lot of probably changed but did that also is that also something that 
comes back in classes like do they teach you to counteract this type of stuff what's what's there is it is it just something that they mention and then okay good luck do what you will how 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 do you how do you approach this no doubt you're really right about you know yeah you're so right about that but i feel like in my experience so far especially since things have become more divisive i feel like they wouldn't have focused it on it so much if it wasn't so central right now because we have a lot of people who are very passionate about one side or the other so they have to address it <laughs> in my classes or else it would just be like ignoring i do feel like we address this divisiveness a lot in journalism and we've had to in the past few years so i do feel like we talk about this stuff a lot but i don't think that we talked about it enough pre Trump, because <laughs> we still have, you know, long-standing issues just in general. So I, I, I feel like that's that's something that's kind of bubbled up to the surface a bit more. Um, how do they teach about like um, ethics versus consumerism? Because I feel like there's a thin line to walk when it comes to like doing your good job as a reporter, even though no one wants to hear. Uh, what what they've got to say and you know still needing to sell newspapers and like subscriptions and stuff how do you how do you how, how what's what's your uni's stand on 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 this issue oh gosh okay so i feel like we talk about a lot um like we've shifted into an online world no doubt and a lot of that comes with a faster news cycle and sometimes we sacrifice really working through a story in order to get a headline out faster or get a story out faster and learning to balance that and take the time to vet your sources and, you know, do, do good journalism is something we really have to work on. I think, um, that's why I value good local news, but I don't know. I feel like it can really depend on the situation, but that's sort of how we talk about it is, think about how fast the news cycle is and let's think about the story a bit more from a journalistic viewpoint. I don't know if that's well said, but <laughs> if if that would be like your 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 college uh perspective on it, um what would be your own personal perspective on this issue? I think I'm always very careful about thinking about like what the motive is behind publishing a story. And I feel like, unfortunately, that's just because I have a little bit of a lack of trust in how, like, certain trans issues are portrayed or just... You, you really got to think about who's telling the story and if they're doing their job. And um, just generally reading through and, and thinking critically about it, even if you agree with it, um, which is kind of vague, sorry. <laughs> but it's just how I think about how I consume media, I guess. Yeah, but I also guess, like, when it comes to the motive and who is publishing the story, to what extent can a motive be be can can be purely based on good um, good reporting? Because especially when it comes to trans issues, a lot of journalism journalists are being careful in order to not alienate a possibly or a very likely transphobic audience because capitalism. Like, how how are these things, how can these things be combined, in your opinion? That is true. Um, I don't think a good story should be to appease a certain audience. I agree with that. Um, I do think just the truth is should be the core bit of the story, even if it does kind of slice right to the point you know there's no dancing around the issue i think that's more valuable than trying to be careful for the wrong reasons but i do understand listening to you know both sides of a story i just feel like a story should be told in the clearest way possible and the most respectful respectful way possible to both parties is what i say I'm not entirely sure if I agree because telling a story respectfully, yeah, sure, but I don't think calling someone calling a 
fascist, a right-wing extremist, is not respectful. That's just not calling calling it what it is, right? Like it being respectful towards trans people, absolutely, and cis people, cis reporters should do better. But if a fascist gets angry because I'm calling him a fascist, like that's I'm that I'm not going to eggshell around his fragile right wing feelings, you know. No, 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 no. Like I, I agree with that. I was, I think I was speaking more on the trans issue side of it, but calling it what it is 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 what I'm getting at. <laughs> not like, for example, <laughs> let me just do an example here because I have one in my head. A lot of the times in reporting here, when it comes to like, like a shooting or something, when it involves the police, they'll often say an officer involved shooting instead of like the police shot someone, <laughs> you know, like that kind of language can be unclear. So like, I think that's more what I'm getting at is like, it, why are we saying officer involved shooting just to appease people who like the police? You know, if the police did shoot someone, then we should tell the truth, you know? So I don't know. It's just language can get so interesting in that, you know, dissecting it all, <laughs> especially with journalism. Absolutely. It's one of the many beauties of our um, craft. I am loving this this um, nerding out about, uh, about our majors, but... Um, Time is uh, time is rapidly moving forward, so it's about time we move on to track number three, best concert experience. Um, which one have you selected in this category? Oh, that's so hard. <laughs> um, give me a second. I did happen to see the Head and the Heart live. Yeah, but we're not gonna do the same artist twice. The same artist twice in one episode. So. Jason Mraz, Live on Earth. Um, Jason Mraz's Beautiful Mess, Live on Earth. Really great, great um, album that's live. And I did see him in person. And one of those tracks is called Coyotes. And that's a song I could listen to on repeat <laughs> nowadays. All right, let's have a listen to Jason Mraz, Coyotes. Jason Mraz, Beautiful Mess, Live on Earth, the live version of a track called Coyotes. In its initial version, I'm not entirely sure when it came out, but this live version we just listened to was released 2009, which, um, beautifully enough, was the year I had my very first concert. So that's cool. 2009 is a very big year for me, y'all. Why did you specifically select Coyotes? I just love how he sings a song. He's an excellent performer. And then also his lyrics are so underrated. Like I feel like everyone should be listening to his music because he fits 
so much into <laughs> each sentence that you just kind of have to stop and like pause and go, wait, what did he just say? And I just love that. <laughs> so outside of coyotes, what are some of um, your favorite little, so to say, Easter eggs of his? Gosh, um, from the same album, I also love like Only Human or just other songs like The Boy's Gone. It can get really deep and you don't even realize it because you're just jamming. Because <laughs> it's like, it's just a fun song to listen to. And then you can go home and be like, wow, he just talked about a bunch of stuff. But um, I think that is the Easter egg. <laughs> he is the Easter egg in that he he, he kind of hides his his um his lyrics in these really catchy, catchy songs. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and guess that you didn't actually see him during the... Uh, um live on earth album recording um what was uh in what in what in what context did you see jason mraz play live i saw jason mraz play live when he was touring with raining jane um who was also a really cool band and i actually went with my mom because it was one of my first few concerts and she loves them too <laughs> so i don't know i think it was just a really fun experience for me going into I think he was playing at Santa Barbara and going into a big stadium, you know, for one of the first times was really exciting. And like I said, he's a great performer. How how long ago was this? Like what, what was it your very first concert? Was it something you've already been used to? Was it your first, I mean, a big arena? What were, what was running through your head at the time? Um, gosh, I think, I haven't been to a lot of concerts where it's like a big crowd. Like I've been to concerts where it's just these little, like we're all in some <laughs> little place and, you know, you see a smaller band, but it was, it's one of the few times I've been to a larger um, venue. Uh, so I feel like just seeing all these people enjoying the music and kind of understanding, like he's, in my opinion, he's so much better live as well. Um, learning to appreciate live music in that sense was something I learned from that. How would you describe your changed um, view on, on live music? Like learning to appreciate live music as a concept you learned from Jason Mraz? That's a big, that, 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 that's a big statement. I suppose so. I mean, I feel like going and seeing live music is unique because that's the only time you're going to see that version <laughs> of whatever you're singing or playing or whatever. So you'll always have that memory attached to that song. And even if you listen to like, you know, the studio recording, which is still great, you know, you're like, oh, but I heard it this way and it was amazing, you know, so you're trying to describe it to people and they're like, what are you talking about? So I think it's like just like a golden nugget of <laughs> seeing the artist you love perform. I just love that the big stadium compared to like the, the, the small sweaty music venues. What, what did you, what do you prefer? I think it depends on the artist. Like for Jason, he has a huge band behind him and it's more about the experience. I think like I went and saw like the Eagles again with my mom. She's just my concert buddy, I think. Uh, <laughs> so and it, it's just, there's nothing like standing in like the nosebleeds of some stadium and getting the whole big experience. But for like, maybe like a small Hawaiian artist, being in a little bookstore or something and just having that storytelling atmosphere is, fits more with the style of music. So it just depends, I think. You also make music yourself. Is that also like inspired by um, Jason Mraz style artist and, and uh, playing? Well, I'd say it's less influenced by Jason Mraz specifically and more, maybe even more like Cave Town, like his style of music. Like I have um, an extended play on Spotify called Ghost Boy. And when I listen back to it now, I kind of have to laugh because I'm like, it's very similar to the style of music that I listen to that's more um, easy listening, kind of uh, gentle music. So... I don't know how to describe it now. <laughs> um, I listened to the track called Ghost Boy. It reminded me um, of Vincent by Don McLean, probably because of 
Maybe because of the melody, I'm not entirely sure. It's just the song that I've had stuck in my head since since I've listened to Ghost Boy. But um, I wanted to go somewhere with this, but I completely blanked on where. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> oh yeah. Um. So you you also made an entire like YouTube video about like singing um before tea and after tea. Like, um, can you can you do a quick rundown uh for people, including me, who haven't seen that video? Sure. I mean, I filmed myself a lot um, pre-testosterone uh, singing just because I, I loved singing. But I never really released a lot of that stuff because I was very, like, unconfident about my voice and didn't make me feel great. But I think, like, duetting with myself or, like, singing with myself kind of shows that journey of, like, uh, hey, like, I'm here now and... It kind of makes it more beautiful. Like I can listen to my voice and sing with it now because <laughs> it just kind of is like, I did that, you know? <laughs> so I, I think the video you might be referring to, is that my video called Hotline? Because I, I did have, I did sing with myself in that one too. It's 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 a weird experience though. <laughs> um. No, you you released a, you you published a video like um, about a year ago, and the title was just "My Singing Voice Pre T Versus Three Months Auntie." Oh, I remember that. Sorry, I totally forgot I had published that. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I I I haven't seen it, but you know, uh, I got to do some type of some type of research and preparation for this episode. So okay. here we are. Yeah, I think that was. I was also very excited to be on tea three months in. Now I'm about a year. So I was just like so, so excited to make that video, I think. Because it was just a very big change in my life. So I think I should, you know, make another one now. <laughs> Who knows? I'm um, fascinated by the nuances of language once again. Um, when you talk about your voice pre-tea, you're still referring to it as my voice, even though I can also imagine like being completely divorced from the concept of what your voice was at the time because it has changed so much. How how do you view this? Like do you still see your voice pretty as your voice or do you does it does it strike you as something someone else entirely? I'd say I would have answered this differently pretty. <laughs> but now I do feel like that was my voice but it was just part of my journey. You know what I mean? Pre-T, I would have been like, this is not my voice. <laughs> this is not my voice. But now I'm like, I can see how it's evolved. And there are still pieces of that voice that are in this voice that I have right now. You know, it's it's still soft. It's still my voice that I have. Um, so now now it just is, I feel more at peace with it, I think. So I could I could listen to old stuff that I have recorded. How How does it feel listening back to that old stuff? Very strange. I now understand why people like get startled when I talk to them when I haven't seen them in months. Because <laughs> I did have like a very soprano, very high voice. And honestly, I like, since we're all like inside all the time because of the pandemic, I forget other people aren't used to my voice. And I go out and I'm like, hey. And they're like, whoa, <laughs> like, who are you? Um, so it can be really disconcerting, but also really affirming. And you know, from from this point on, uh, if people want to, uh, if people haven't seen you in a while, you can just send them this episode. Like, hey, don't be don't be startled. I was on a podcast. You can listen <laughs> to my voice. Go. Get used to it because we're going to meet up at some point, and you don't want to surprise you. <laughs> a little background. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, we're close to uh, wrapping this up. So for your most recent discovery, I mean, we already talked about, I keep forgetting the name, something with an L and something with an M. Oh, Lillian Madeline. That's right. Yes. Lillian Madeline. Is that also the, the artist you want to have played in your most recent discovery or are we going to go with something else? That is another good question. I mean... I think they'd probably be it because, as you know now, I listen to the same albums <laughs> on repeat every day. So it's a big deal for me to find something new. So I, I, I do think, you know, some of their songs are the new thing for me. How do, you, how do you usually go about discovering new music? Oh, someone has to, like, force me to listen to something. They're like, you gotta listen to this. But because <laughs> I, I just get so attached 
to an album that I'm just like, no, I'm good. Like, this is all I need in life. And then I'll listen to something and I'll hear something in like a store or like my uncle will bug me about music. And that's pretty much <laughs> that's pretty much it. You'd think I'd listen to more music because I play music, but I guess not. <laughs> uh, so if I ask you, are there any releases this upcoming year you're looking forward to? You would have no idea because, you know, people haven't forced it onto you yet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you look at everything that I've talked about in this episode, it's all like 2010 <laughs> or like earlier. So clearly I'm not very like with it with the new releases. But every once in a while I'll look up like I had no idea Lillian Madeline released some new songs, you know, fairly recently. But I still haven't listened to it. Like their 2019 album. I'm like, I'll get there eventually once I'm through listening to fumes like 300 times you know <laughs> so i still have to explore some of my my favorite artist song which is pretty funny is there um what what specific track by lily and madeline would you like to bring to the table uh like a new one or like one that i have enjoyed uh preferably a new one a new one okay well i have not listened to Canterbury Girls. I think that's their newest album and that song. And I'm very curious about it, but I still haven't listened to it. <laughs> well, I guess now's the right time to get into it. There you go. This is my sign. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right, y'all. Um, we're we're going to leave you with that. This has been Queer Sounds. Thank you so much again for listening. Um, if you want to support the show, you can do so through patreon.com slash queersounds. Um, you can get access to the Queer Sounds Discord there. Uh, you can also get a pack of lovely Queer Sounds stickers. Um, and if you pay enough, you can even overrule whatever whatever guest I've got on the show and decide the music on the show yourself. So, you know, that's that's pretty cool. If you want to drop a line, um, file a complaint, uh, make some suggestions, you can do so at Queer Sounds Pod um, on all of the social media. That's Tumblr, Twitter, IG, at Queer Sounds Pod. If you want to send an email, you can do so on the newly refurbished Queer Sounds website. That is queersounds.com. Uh, I, I, I spent some time and giving the site a little bit of an update and I think it did a pretty good job but I'll leave that up to you there is a wonderful um, contact form there or you can just write an old school email queersoundspod at gmail.com alright well Milani thank you very much for coming on the show uh, thank you uh, dear listener again for tuning in here's the last track of the day Lillian Madeline Canterbury Girls bought this sweater for a dollar feeling lucky in LA run around the town for hours past the edge of the day took the back way up the hillside The signs that said keep out If we're caught there's nowhere to hide Will they see our glowing
the heart.